This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. In the early 90s, I was uh, getting off a plane back in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, it was uh, it was kind of a sad day, to be quite honest, because I had just been in Atlanta where I had thought I was getting a like my dream job uh, in, in the music industry. And so I had uh, flown out there. I'd spent a week at this thing called Atlanta Fest, and, uh, and, and, and I had actually thought, like, I'm moving to Atlanta, and I'm going to be... I'm going to be in the music business. My mullet will finally have purpose, you know? But on that day, when I got off that plane, I was, uh, man, I was sad, uh, really down, because, like, the job didn't materialize. And I was embarrassed because I had told my friends, anybody ever done this one? Told my friends, I'm moving, man. I, look, I broke up with a girl to go take this job, okay? Now, in fairness, the relationship wasn't working out. I broke up with her once, but it didn't take. So you know, you know what I mean? So I had to go back in for another breakup, and, and uh, <laughs> that Seinfeld line, why am I the only one working at this breakup? Um, but I'm back now, and I'm downtrodden, and I'm having to basically face the fact that like my, I didn't get with my desire. I didn't get what I wanted. At the same time, something happened. I had reconnected with my former flame, Shannon Anderson. I was working at a little restaurant. Phil and Jill Dietz are actually with us this morning from Tulsa. They, if, uh, if, any, if anything goes good, I want to take the credit for it. But anything that goes bad, you blame Phil and Jill because they're the ones that basically kept me. They were the string on my balloon in Bible college years, kept me alive. Um, but I reconnected with, with Shannon Anderson, and uh, we fell in love, and it, we were like uh, the Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger. Uh, <laughs> can, you, can you show them the, the picture, Leanne? This was, this was our engagement photo from... Um, drink that in for a second. Somehow she didn't age, but somehow I aged exactly like Alec Baldwin aged. <laughs> Sometimes I don't think it's Alec as much as it's like one of his brothers, like Jimmy Baldwin that just got out of rehab, you know, like the one that wasn't so popular or whatever. Um, but here's what happened that summer. I fell in love and we got married uh, in just a few months. And in the words of the great poet, Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. (laughs) I had desires that I had inside of me that were desires. It wasn't, by the way, a desire for a job. Yes, I wanted a job, but that was not the desire. The desire and the reason that I felt so much embarrassment and so much hurt was that I wanted to be somebody. Like I wanted to prove to everybody in my little hometown that this little white trash kid could make something of myself. I had this desire to prove that I could do this. 
And this was a 100% gut punch into that desire. Oscar Wilde, who is not exactly a bastion of theological uh, thought, not a Christian at all, to be candid, uh, he wrote these words. He said that uh, when the gods want to punish us, they answer our prayers. Now, theologically, it's a little off, starting with the fact that he used plural. Maybe Oscar didn't understand God, but here's what he did understand. He understood that humans and our desires and how disordered they can be and how desires can mislead us and how desires can uh, change us. But at the same time, what he understood that he couldn't articulate is what we're about to read in Romans chapter 1, and that is that you and I, as humans, were born with, even Phoebe right now, born with desire, desire for connection with God, desire with connection with each other. And that desire, what we'll see in Romans 1, we're going to see a, pa- a verse where he says, and he turned them over to their desires, their, their sinful desires. Those desires can lead us into Christ and into our purpose, or those desires can lead us into destruction and death and separation and implosion. But the desire was given by God, corrupted by the fallen world. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Um, encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you, uh, honestly, if you've got a phone Bible, you know, sometimes I would say, oh, you've got to get your Bible, make sure you get a Bible. But if I was that concerned about the original format to have it, we should, I would have a scroll up here. So understand that if you've got it on your phone, that's fine. But the Lord speaks to us uh, through his word. So if he starts downloading something to you, Tune me out. You can go back to the podcast later. You can just write down what the Lord has for you. That's why it's good to have paper with you, something to write on, something to to read and to follow along with. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires, and if you've got a Bible underlined, you can underline that. We're going to come back to that word. Of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, 
Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us insight into your word today? Would you allow your word to speak to us and through us and in us? Would you, Lord, it's a dark world. We need a lamp today. And your word is that lamp for us. And I pray that that lamp shines brightly in our darkened paths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We were created with a desire with need, with desire for connection, first with God and then with each other. It started in the garden. Adam was created. And if you realize, Adam actually didn't know he was alone at first. It wasn't until he's counting them all two by two by two by two and getting going, wait a minute, I don't, I don't got one. But, but he had a connection with God. Like that was what he was created for. That's what you were created for. And that desire, when it is aimed at God, is the key to making great decisions, the key to your marriage. It's literally our, the way we were designed is our lives. And on the other hand, when I aim that desire at anything but God, and, and epithumia actually is the, the Greek word for desire that's used here. I wanted to say that because... This word, we really don't have a word for in our English language. Epithumia. And it's kind of two words. The etymology, epi meaning like ultimate. Like the strong, this inordinate desire. Right? Epi. And then desire is just, thumia is just desire. So an epithumia, by a biblical definition, is a inordinate ultimate desire, the kind of desire that if you don't get it and if it doesn't happen, your life falls apart, like that deep of a desire. And so when he refers to, in verse 21, a sinful desire, an epithumia is any desire, and by the way, it could be a desire for something that's not inherently sinful, but if I make it my ultimate, like a career, Career's not a bad thing, but if I make that my ultimate, my epithumia, that becomes the sinful desire. So you understand it's not the object of the desire that is the sin as much as the desire itself and what I am placing on that and the expectation of that. So that is what we were designed for at birth. And what we see in Romans 1 is there's these three things that you can see that God gave us almost as tools as like a roadmap to help us to navigate our epithumia, our ultimate desire for him. It's implicit in this text, the knowledge of 
God is the first one that we're going to talk about. Like everyone has this knowledge of God. So if he's going to in, inherently design in you and wire in you and me a desire, an epithumia for him, then he's going to make sure that there's a, a knowledge of him inside of all of us. The second thing is we are all wired for worship in one way or another. So that epithumia then can be expressed in worship, and we'll talk in a minute about what worship actually is, and that worship is how we were wired. We're all going to worship something. And then the third thing is this, this power of your mind. Your mind, what, you know, the words of Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception, the most powerful force in the universe is an idea that is rooted in your mind. And so these three things here, and you'll see as we go through them, how on a macro level and on a micro level, it's why, it's why Paul never goes and starts trying to tear down systems. Like the entire book of Rome, book of Romans is written in the Roman Empire, and he never once starts to talk about tearing down the Roman system, any system of oppression. He is instead talking about tearing down sin in our hearts. Because when all you do is tear down a system, but you don't deal with the sin in our hearts, then you just replace it with another sinful system, and it's another lap around the mountain right back again. That's why the Holy Spirit doesn't write about tearing down systems, but tearing down sin. So the knowledge of God, number one, every one of us in this room, everyone born in the history of mankind is born with a knowledge of God. Inside of us, we know that there's something out there that is God. And by the way, the truth that's being suppressed, right here it talks about in these verses, 18, 19, 20, the truth that was being suppressed wasn't the truth about COVID, it was the truth about the knowledge of God. Now, there is some truth being suppressed about other things, don't get me wrong. But don't, my point is, is that suppressing truth is not a new idea. This has been around forever. And the ultimate truth that's being suppressed is the truth about the knowledge of God. And in all of our lives, that is our number one danger, is to suppress the knowledge of God in our lives. Is it any wonder that the first step in addiction, in AA, how many of brothers and sisters have been through AA, right? The first step is, right, is admitting that I am powerless over this addiction. I can't change this. And I, step number two, acknowledge that the only thing that can change it, and of course now they've made it politically correct and it's this higher power, but understand AA was written by a Christian man. This was a Christian idea and that higher power is God. Until I admit that there is a problem and that problem is I have suppressed the truth that there is a God and I am acting like there isn't one. And that truth, when I suppress it, results in disaster in my life. And here is why. Because if I'm now acting like God doesn't exist, and all of us in some way or another is what, I mean, I would call situational atheists. <laughs> like, I'm, I believe in God, but there are certain moments like where I'm really not praying about this, which makes me technically a situational atheist because I apparently don't believe God can handle this one, so I'm going to handle this one on my own. But at the core of this, when it comes to our desires, if I'm taking that desire for God in connection with him, and now I'm going to take a shortcut because I'm ignoring God. I don't want there to be a God. And at the core of us all, the reason we don't want it is really simple. I mean, it's really simple because I want control. And God left this as a zero-sum game. He demands ultimate control. 
And we see here how we even find ourselves in this with this desire, this, and I'm now suppressing the truth of God, so I'm going to aim my desire at something else. And it says in verse 21, the way it happens is that they neither glorified him nor gave thanks. Now, is the problem that they just didn't have good manners? Didn't say thank you? No, no, it's so much deeper than that. The way Tim Keller puts it is this is like, why do we, why do we know that plagiarism is so bad? Right? When somebody plagiarizes something, we know that it's bad and it angers us and it hurts us and it's because that person that is plagiarizing it is taking something that someone else created and now taking credit for it as if they created it themselves. And so when I'm not giving thanks to God, I'm instead actually doing is taking credit for what he did for me, plagiarizing his work, plagiarizing what he has done. And the question for all of us, am I willing, am I willing to believe, not to try to steal God, not to try to steal his work, not to try to take his credit for his stuff, but am I willing to actually believe in the God of the Bible? See, the God of the Bible, I mean, if I were to ask most people in America right now, everybody pretty much one way or another would say they believe in God. I bet in this room, if I, most people would say I believe in God. But the question is, do you believe in the God of the Bible? Or do you believe in a God that you created in, in your image? Do you believe in a God that came down on Sinai with smoke and with fire? Right? Do you believe in a God that says that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood? Do you believe in the God that says no one can stand in my presence and live? Because that's the God of the Bible. That's the God that we have a knowledge of, and to suppress the truth of that, to try to create God in my image instead of him creating me in his image, begins the plagiarism process. And in our world right now, especially, we've got liberal God, right? And liberal God, what does liberal God do? Liberal God says you can do whatever the heck you want. No consequences, no morals, there's no right and wrong. The primary thing is it's consent. It's no longer is it right or is it wrong, but now it's consent. Like, that's the God of the liberal God, okay? A lot of people believe in that God. But in this county, probably especially in this town, we believe in the conservative God. And the conservative God says this, obey all the rules, do it all right. Get it, I mean, literally come in clutch for Jesus. And then, because of that, now you know you're awesome and you're gonna make it to heaven. Okay, you know what the problem with both versions of those gods are? They leave you in control. And God is not sharing his throne with you. The religious God, the liberal God, is both me trying to stay in control, a God who takes me to heaven because I obeyed all the rules, that's a God who owes me something. And let me assure you of something, sister, he don't owe me nothing. Because the God of the Bible, the God who said that no one can stand in my presence and live, the God who said that there would be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, that God became man, that God shed his blood to remit my sins, and the God of grace, that God, I owe him everything. That's the God of Romans 1. That's the God that we get to believe in.
that we choose to believe in. It's the privilege to believe in this, God. Because that God, let me tell you what that God can do. That God can ask you anything. Do you remember Abraham with Isaac and carrying Isaac up to, to this altar? And Isaac at one point looks at his father. Isaac is 33 years old at this point, by the way. And he says to his father, is there nothing that he would not ask of you that you would do? And Abraham said, there's nothing. Because that God, the God who imputed Abraham's faith as righteousness, Abraham knew that he owed him everything. And that's the God that we have a knowledge of. That's the God that we suppress the truth of. And if you listen to some of my, look, I have some, if you were to look at my podcasting uh, library, you would probably pray for me. Actually, that's not true. You'd pray for my wife. (laughs) Like, he listens to some weird stuff. But when you listen to physicists talk about string theory, when you uh, astrophysicists talk about wormholes, when you hear about microbiologists and and, and talking about like uh, the the atom and how a proton and an electron and floating around a neutron and they're everywhere and they're nowhere at the same time, like they're using religious language to describe string theory that, you know, the, the Stranger Things thing, it was like there was an other dimension to it. Like that was born out of, remember the little string theory and Stranger Things thing? That's an actual scientific theory. And when you hear physicists start to talk about that, at some point they will have to say, and we don't know how that works. We believe there are multiple dimensions with multiple things happening at the same time. And when they go, that's why it talks about their knowledge increased, their knowledge increased, professing to be wise, they became fools, because the only thing that can explain what these guys are talking about is God, and it's the one thing they refuse to talk about. I was listening to an interview with Sebastian Junger, one of my favorite atheists, and he was talking about a near-death experience he had, and he literally was talking about this in a, with, literally with religious language while simultaneously saying, but there, I know there's not a God, so it's just, it was just must have been synapses firing in my brain. Point is, with knowledge, you can get smarter and smarter and smarter, and all that does is prove more and more that there is a God, and it is that you are without excuse. This idea that the more uh, progress we've made, that now we know that there isn't a God is actually completely and utterly inaccurate. It just means that that's the one place that they are jumping off. None of us are without excuse to know the knowledge of God. And to suppress it means you are taking a journey down a road that leads to the rest of Romans 1, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, when it starts with suppressing that, and then it moves from that into this thing, this other tool that we were all born with, which was this need to worship. Now, you might think a need to worship means we should have sang more songs today. On any given Sunday, somebody thinks we went too long with worship, and somebody wishes we went longer with worship, okay? But worship is not singing, Okay? Singing is a way that we can worship, but in and of itself, it is not worship. And in verse 25, it says, uh, one eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Worshiping, they were worshiping created things. Now that doesn't mean that the, the 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 like whatever the their version, the atheist version of Bethel music is now writing worship songs about atheism. Worship 
a biblical definition of worship is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. And he goes on, holy, acceptable, pure. But at that, he says that is your spiritual act of worship. We were all born with a need to worship and not to sing, but worship meaning to offer our life as a living sacrifice for whatever it is that gives us purpose and meaning and depth and the ultimate epithumia. The Bible refers to it as idolatry. But when I put my purpose in anything but God, when I put that kind of pressure, when I offer my life as a living sacrifice for my career, some of you have offered your life as a living sacrifice for your children. Some of you have offered your life as a living sacrifice for your marriage. There is an important idea that we have a thumia, a desire to lead well our family, that we have a desire to lead our children. But when I put the ultimate, in other words, the epithumia means that if and when my children don't follow through with the way that I thought they were going to do it, my life falls apart now. That's a clue that I made them the epithumia. I made them an idol in my life because I was getting my purpose and meaning from them and not from God. And parents, moms, dads, myself, I'm begging us to understand your children cannot bear the weight of that need on them. Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning coming out of a concentration camp, and he spoke of this idea that those who survived, there was one difference between those who survived and those who didn't survive. And it was this, those who had a purpose and a meaning. And he was quoting Nietzsche when he said that he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And that is true for a short period of time, that can get you through a concentration camp, but it can't get you through life because if your why is that I want to be a good husband, if your why is I want to finish this novel, if your why is something that is temporal, then your fulfillment from it becomes temporal. But what he was tapping into is this simple idea that if my why is the God of the universe, if my epithumia is my why, that I'm now worshiping him, offering my life as a living sacrifice for him, he can bear the weight of that. And it's what I was designed to do. And it brings joy, it brings fulfillment, even in the darkest moments. Now, what I tend to do, I don't know about you, is find shortcuts for these desires, okay? Because I don't want to do the work. But, but when I'm doing like a shortcut for that, my desire, so for instance, uh, I did eventually get the music business job, okay? I'm 24, stumbled completely backwards into some pretty successful things. Now, I'm now married, okay? I got Kim Basinger. And my epithumia, my ultimate desire, instead of being on God, now became providing for my family. It is honorable to provide for your family. It is a sinful desire when that now becomes my complete weight of everything that I'm trying to do to put that pressure on that. Because I 
promise you, as hard as I was working, as much as I wanted to succeed so that she could be happy, Shannon didn't want my job, she wanted me. And to put that pressure of the weight of my meaning and purpose off of God and onto my career ended with a whole lot of disappointment and sadness. You see, in the music business, there's a saying, and some of you all know this, you are only as popular as your most popular client, okay? I was at a company in the 90s, and I had clients that if you're under 20, you have no idea who are. Uh, if you're over 50, you're like, oh my God, I love them. We have gold records sitting in an attic of artists that sold millions of records and I promise if I had Ethan up here right now and just held up b pictures of the bands, you would know them and he would have no idea who they are, okay? Now, why do I say that? Because my epithumia, if I put it on that, now again, what did I say I wanted? I wanted to prove that I was somebody, prove to my hometown that I could be somebody. And as soon as that artist sold a bunch of records and then they did their farewell tour, well, the problem that was they, they'd already done their farewell tour, they just didn't know it, everybody already said goodbye, and we were like... Uh, sorry, that's a little too soon. Um, <laughs> rap, you know what I'm talking about. Now I'm back to needing purpose and meaning again because that, that artist was gone and now I had to get the next one and I had to get the next one. And when my artists were rocking and rolling, I'd call and people would answer my phone and when I had nobody, I'd call and they, I'm on hold and I'm going to voicemail because the friends that I thought I had weren't necessarily friends. They were colleagues in the business world and now my epithumia, which I had now put onto my career to be somebody in purpose, once again was being proven to be placed in the wrong spot. And in our world right now, there are places where we can put our desires. And you could do it, and I've, maybe that's part of the prodigal son journey, is to keep doing it until you finally realize this world will not satisfy you. There is nothing in this world that this desire cannot satisfy. It can't satisfy that in you, the one that God gave for you. My desire for connection with my wife, my connection with God was not going to be fulfilled in a career move. I was worshiping the creation and not the creator. And that is idolatry. Now we think idolatry, don't we think like uh, little statues and, and uh, you know, Virgin Marys and rosary beads and you know, you might think of my friend Santa God I met Santa God on the Ganges River in Kathmandu. Turns out if you pay uh, Santa a dollar, uh, you can sit on his lap and tell him what you want for Christmas. <laughs> he didn't speak any English. I don't know what he thought. I, I was told him I wanted for Christmas. He didn't know what I was doing. Um, I, he just got his dollar. He was thrilled. <laughs> and I got my picture. This is one of the many gods and forms of gods in other countries and developing nations. And when you think idols, that's probably what you think. And by the way, this is kind of cute and kind of funny, but we're sitting in front of the Ganges River where people are literally taking their dead loved ones, burning their bodies on the Ganges River, and then brushing the ashes into the river, 
right? Downstream moms are bathing, doing laundry, doing, because if I can get buried in this river and then I'm guaranteed I am saved, their worshiping of these idols, including Santa God, is them giving up their money. It's them giving up their life, their time, their control. Their, all they want is control of their own life. And if I pay this to this guy and I have some control over this, that is idolatry. And whether it is a created thing, like a, uh, like a little statue, whether it's Santa or whether it is your career, the Bible gives us a long list of things that are considered idolatry. In Romans, specifical, specifical, specifically, <laughs> I usually conjugate better by the third service, but we don't have three services anymore, so. Specifically, in Romans 1, it speaks of sexual desire as idolatry. Idolatry, which is now referring to this. And here is how you know that's what it is. Because in our culture right now, people don't say something like, I have attraction, same-sex attraction, or I have uh, opposite-sex attraction, they say things like, I am a homosexual. I am bisexual. I am queer. In other words, you're not saying that this is a behavior that you're participating in or struggling with. You're now making this your actual identity. In the same way that a career can do this, sexual immorality can become this the identity, and when the identity is that, now I'm worshiping the creation and not the creator. I'm worshiping me and not him. I want my control, and I don't want to give the control to him. We can do that with comfort. We can do that with power. We can keep doing that across the board of these things that I'm going to give control over to in a quest to get control, which is the last thing I wanted to share with you, was that if I'm in a position now where I've wired for worship and instead of worshiping the God of the universe, instead of offering my life as a living sacrifice for the only thing, the only one who can possibly bear the weight and who can give me what I need from that worship and worshiping things, it ultimately ends up in the last thing, the power of the mind, I put that up, mind to be molded, but it's just the idea that your mind, your brain, when you start walking down a road of futile thinking, right? When you start walking down the road of idolatry, you end up in a place that the Bible calls a depraved mind. It simply means empty mind. It means like it's not real gold anymore. And the science is clear on behavioral changes that actually literally shape the sh- change the shape of your brain. Neuroplasticity. There are plenty of articles in just this last year. Scientists are proving that pornography in young men and women is literally rewiring our brains. This is a depraved mind. You, you think, man, I've lost my mind. Yes. That's what it means, that you've lost your mind. Because when I've suppressed the truth of God, when I've suppressed the knowledge of that, and now I'm worshiping, offering my life as a living sacrifice to things that can't bear the weight of it, the only thing that can possibly happen after that is that I begin to, my mind begins to rewire, and the power of that idea, the power of that mind begins to drive the behaviors that I am now trapped in. 
And look at the behaviors that he lists out here. Wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. And if you have traveled at all, you've seen the result of, we're in Haiti right now, okay? The earthquake happened last week. And in Haiti, the, the result of suppressing the truth of the knowledge of God resulted in voodoo priests and voodoo temples everywhere and, and corruption. And what happened last week in Haiti, this earthquake is a tragedy because it's a quote-unquote natural disaster. And Bob and Kay, you know this. This is not just a natural disaster. This is a man-made, depraved mind disaster. The roads are a disaster in Haiti. The infrastructure is a disaster in Haiti. And politicians are leaving office with pallets of cash, like Walter White on Breaking Bad level cash, like literally cash, pillaging the system, envy, greed, malice, murder. It's happening literally on this macro level in a country, and it started with a country, it started with people that suppressed the truth about God. It, it moved for them worshiping not the God of the universe, but creation and not the creator and now in a depraved mind there are in their society alone uh, horrible things happening and by the way I want to share something with you really quick last Saturday there was a young mama who was nine months pregnant in Haiti the earthquake happened home collapsed on her she is trapped inside can you put that picture up Leanne from the house this house collapsed on her uh, she was inside of there she was pulled out by some of our restoration Pastor LaFleur teams, got her out of there. And by that night, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And if you go back to that other picture again, that little wooden structure is a structure that our teams have been building down there. Within a day or two, they'll actually be inside. This will be a temporary structure until we can rebuild their homes. But this home is being built for them. They've been sleeping outside since Saturday. They slept outside during grace and the hurricane that went through. This is a mom with a brand new baby. Can you even imagine? But in a fallen world of depraved minds, in a fallen world of evil and greed and envy and malice and murder, that's the result of it but I'm sharing with you what we are doing here because I don't want to leave it on this dark side of where we are. If you've ever, has anybody bought a, do people still buy diamonds or do you guys all buy, like every wedding I've done, it seems like for the last three years, I've been like, you know, I made, I made this out of like a, a car pipe or it's like a, a plastic rubber. But do people still buy diamonds? I don't know if they buy diamonds anymore. But, but they put it on a black piece of black felt and they put it on black felt because on black felt, the diamond shines from the felt. Romans 1 and 2 is the blackness of the reality of this world, but the gospel shines brighter against it, but I'm not going to leave it here with you. I want to leave this, that God gave you this desire and this longing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the angels look in on us, seeing from eternity, looking into the gospel, and it says, look, it says that they long to know. That word long to know, epithumia. Even the angels, the needs of the hearts of the angels are met when they look in on the gospel. When they look in on the amazingness of Christ, the amazingness of the goodness and the greatness of the grace of God. 
I want to challenge every one of us this week to take your epithumia and aim it at the goodness of God. Aim it at the gospel. Aim it at the God that says that I'm not going to let you work your way into heaven. The God that says, oh, by the way, and you can't sin your way out of salvation. I'm going to take care of both of those things. The goodness and the grace. All you have to do is repent and believe. That's the goodness of God. Allow that to be what you are looking in on, what you are longing for, because it can bear the weight of your need, of your desire that you were designed for. And it's a daily thing. There are days I still try to work my butt off and think that's how I'm going to be now approved and that's how I'm going to impress my wife. And, and every day I remember that didn't work and I have a chance to refocus back to the gospel. We have communion every week because of the gospel. We gather as believers because of the gospel. But this isn't enough. A daily reminder, a daily just soaking in of the gospel of what God did for you. That is what molds hearts. And by the way, that mind, that depraved mind, what does Romans 12, after you offer your life as a living sacrifice, not to your career, but to him, right? You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It will rewire, literally, I believe, miraculously, God rewires and transforms your mind. Stand to your feet. I've got to get you out of here in the parking lot. I apologize, Lord, forgive me. Parking lot attendants, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> um, but I want... Romans 1 is not bad news. Romans 1 is the truth. That's what mankind is. That's what's true about you. You are born with a desire, and if you will aim it at God, he can take it. Heavenly Father, give us some desire today for that. Lord, move in our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, as we're getting into our cars today, just supernaturally, the Holy Spirit, allow us to believe in this God, this gracious God that you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.